Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth-65, also known as Spider-Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen-65. I'm Kurt. And I'm Abigail. Now, before we dive into today's story, we'd like to introduce a new segment featuring any news and updates about upcoming Gwen content. First off, we have the Spider-Gwen Omnibus which includes Edge of Spider-Verse number 2, the Spider-Gwen miniseries that which we'll be reading today, the Spider-Gwen ongoing lasting from 2015 to 2018, and any crossovers. It's filled with 1,224 pages. This omnibus includes the entire Jason Latour and Robbie Rodriguez era, and all of the comics that we have done episodes on or will do episodes are included in this omnibus. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. I only just finished buying up all the the physical stuff a few months back myself, so I'm not 100% of whether I'll get that. But if you are interested in buying any of these comics, that's probably going to be the best bang for your buck is to get that. It looks quite cool. It's hardcover as well. Uh, The other thing we wanted to talk about was Heroes Reborn Night's Gwen, which is by Vita Ayala and Farid Karami. And that's going to be a 40-page one shot a tie into now ongoing heroes reborn event which is sort of this uh altered earth 616 i'd say that this this character night gwen or Nightbird, as she's called in universe seems closer to gwen 616 uh then she does gwen 65 but it's kind of hard to tell at this point but it does seem to be the only solicited thing from marvel right now that the only announced thing that this seems to be the closest to spider gwen goes spider content that we're going to get for a while so yeah uh, it's it looks good. It looks very good. Vita Ayala has also written Ghost Spider Annual Number One. They're a really great writer, and I'm really looking forward to this. That is clearly inspired from Gwen 65 somewhat, and I, I do think there is a possibility here of of this particular creative team with Farad Karami spinning off into a into a new Gwen 65 book. If that was what Marvel's intention was to to eventually have a new ongoing or, or mini series even for Gwen 65. It's uh to sort of give a bit of background to it, it's it's a bit of a Batgirl parody. Uh most of Heroes Reborn is sort of DC parodies. It's a universe without the Avengers, so they have a lot of DC sort of type stand-ins. And if you look at the art for it, uh there's a David Nakayama cover art piece for it. it looks very similar to Batgirl. She's sort of got this working professional uh life as a uh, a psychiatrist, psychologist. Yep, a psychiatrist for Ravencroft. Nice. Yeah. So she's doing that. And then at night she goes and fights crime as this sort of Batgirl type character who is in some way attached to Night Hawk, who is the Batman stand in in the Heroes Reborn event. And uh, she also has to fight the Jackal as well, as as every Gwen should have the opportunity to do. And it's 40 pages. Uh, I've already mentioned that. So it's like a double sized issue. Uh, but yeah, please do pre-order this. If you want Marvel to at least give Vita all of more comics, because they're a great writer, a great writer, then then yeah, hundred percent pre-order this because this is the only Gwen con- only new Gwen content that we have to stand right now. And I, I am also quite looking forward to it. I'm ambiguous in a lot of the Heroes Reborn event stuff, but this this looks really good. So yeah, both of these release on the 9th of June, both the Spider Gwen Omnibus and Heroes Reborn Night Gwen are, are releasing on the 9th of June, or, or June 9th if you're American. I, I I always get confused with the dates, but yeah. So yeah, that's that's our little news segment. We're not maybe going to do that every episode, but if there's right. something to talk about, any new collections or comics we're going in. Anything relevant that happened in the week, we'll say it on the show. Yeah, yeah. We'll have you covered there. You know, I've I've got my Google alerts turned on for Go Spider and that anyway. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, we're, we're going to get into the meat of today's issue. We've got uh, a lot of ground to cover with this particular arc. Uh, now, if you listen to the last episode, you'll know we're currently reviewing Gwen's main solo series. And that began with the debut appearance for Gwen in Edge of Spider-Verse number two. And today, what we're looking at is uh, the arc called Most Wanted? Question mark. It's Gwen's first solo title, a five-issue miniseries. What would be best is if you as a listener read this comic and then listen to the episode. So you've got a context for what we're talking about. If you want to know where to buy or what to read, we're going to include a link with details to Spider Gwen's full bibliography, uh, a reading list, and where to get those comics in the description, as well as a link to the Comixology page for this miniseries. So you know what the book looks like, at least. Or if you want to buy it from Comixology, you know where to find it. It's all there. So just sort of dovetailing in 
with what we discussed last week. This is the same creative team as Edge of Spider-Verse number two. It uses the same events, uses the same characters. It does, however, occur after the Spider-Verse event. So Gwen now knows about the multiverse. She knows about the other spider totems, as they're called. She uh, also and... knows about what happened to other Gwen Stacys. Yes. Yeah. So she's, yeah. If she wasn't angsty enough, she now knows that mo- most of her alternate versions die. And it occurs before the Secret Wars event. Now, Secret Wars isn't really referenced much within the main Spider-Gwen title itself, but it does mean that this miniseries came to an end at issue number five and basically restarts with the same plot, with the same creative team, with the same characters again with another number one issue in the same year, which it can lead to some confusion. And it does mean that this collection ends up getting called volume number zero with the new one going that starts being volume number one. So that's the sort of reasoning behind the the, the odd numbering of this particular volume. Uh, yeah, and like I said, it's uh, five issues. We're, we're going to sort of break them down. The first three issues are quite interesting. It's Gwen versus Earth-65's The Vulture, who... Uh, pretty much comes in in issue number one and he hospitalizes Earth-65's version of Ben Grimm within the first few pages here. Ben Grimm here, he's not the same as the thing in the, in the Prime universe here. He's just a Yancey Street beat cop. Yeah, if you're a The Thing stan, unfortunately not a lot of content to be had here. He is he is pretty much just a, a cop as far as things are concerned. He gets a bit over eager chasing after Yancey Street gang kids and uh, he gets... He gets picked on by the Vulture, who has a really cool design in this comic. He's kind of close to the Earth 616 design in that he's an old, bald dude with a bird like uh, nose. Yeah, he's got the suit. Yeah, the classic look, but he's got a couple of additions. He has Vulture sidekicks that follow him around to look extra intimidating. I don't think they actually do anything, but uh, yeah, they look cool. And And wherever he goes, he releases a giant green gas. Yeah, which which initially they don't do much with. Here it's more of an aesthetic thing, but it does mean that most of these panels that he appears in, what they have is this like green smoke that's like a background to everything and obscures it. And like the pages and the fight scenes with the vulture are all these these really cool like green, this sort of moldy green aesthetic to all of it that coordinates with his suit very well. It's quite interesting. Um, and then there's his very sort of pink bald head, which uh, sort of sticks out from it all. But but yeah, he's got um like these talon things as well that he that he sort of latches onto people's limbs with that he's able to sort of pick them up and drop them from height which is is his move he does it a few times and then also in issue number one uh pretty much straight after the scene where vulture hospitalizes ben Grimm, we also get the bodega bandit who doesn't get a lot of play here but he's practically the earth 65 version of the mcdonald's mascot the hamburglar Mm, that's it Oh my goodness, I've never never made that connection before. That's wild. Yeah, he's yeah, he robs fast food chains and yeah, he does get elaborated on further down the line. He becomes a, a bit of a recurring character, but here he's he's mostly just cannon fodder to sort of set up Gwen living her life as a as a street vigilante. She's sort of getting back into the swing of things and wants to find a way to prove herself to the cops that she's a good guy because obviously she's still got this big manhunt after her even though her father does know about her identity this is you know it's not it's not enough to call off all the cops at this point it's still a big issue and in line with that there is also um a scene with foggy nelson who a bit like matt murdoch he's gone down a dark path and that he's a he's just a bit of a, a weak district attorney he doesn't amount to much, but he's he's more of a cop here as well as a lot of other characters. And he breaks the news to George Stacy that the Punisher, or at least he's not called the Punisher yet. No, he's, he's a simple Frank Castle, but yeah, still just, the just, same unhinged guy. Oh yeah, he's not he's not friendly by any means. He's introduced literally torturing the rhino, and he is taking over the manhunt for Gwen. And it, it's uh this this is the setup for that. And he tortures the rhino, who he doesn't really give him very good information, and he comes to the conclusion that Gwen is is in ta- is working in tandem with the Kingpin. So he's got a, I say, vendetta at this point. Um, they, they do elaborate on it a bit more. I think we'll leave it for uh, next episode to talk about that. But but yeah, he's he takes over this manhood here on out, where his father tends to play more of a devil's advocate for Gwen within the police force, which is the sort of major paradigm shift left over from Gwen's debut appearance in Edge of Spider-Verse number two. There's also a sort of B-plot to this miniseries with the band, where 
Gwen's sort of it's implied that she's sort of just walked out on them, or at least she's she's gone AWOL. Maybe they under, they're under the impression that she's quit, and they're struggling a lot without her. There's a amusing scene where they look for a new drummer, and uh, they they can't find them. And yeah, it's just it's chaos. It's always chaos with the Mary Janes, though. I think that's how it should be. In the sort of scenes after this point, there's a fairly prolonged fight with the Vulture where to get his attention, Gwen graffitis up a good chunk of New York in order to... Uh, in order to get to, the vulture's attention? Yeah, they make it into this, uh, I'd say, like a, like a game of, of personality almost, like uh, ego, I'd say, where she recognizes that the vulture sort of wanted to feel special and uh, well-liked. Which seems as... to be a recurring theme around her character and yeah. her supporting cast. Yeah, and he's got the sort of the classic scientist who's worked under Norman Osborn, it's implied, and been underappreciated and undervalued and has uh, poor living conditions and is now taken to flying around the streets as as a vulture attacking random people. Uh, and yeah, so she gets his attention by spray painting very vulture-specific burns across the, across the city of New York. The standout one... Death from a butt... Death from a butt. Yep, that's the with with the graphic included as well, which is uh, which is great. It's great. The first sort of round they have, the first skirmish, Gwen sort of appears to have the upper hand, but then he does this thing where he takes her up into the air and then he cuts the web line that she was hanging onto him with at height, and she falls towards the Hudson River, and that's the end of issue number one. So so round one sort of goes to him in that situation there. She got a bit ahead of herself. And also and, in the process, like, she loses her smartphone, too. Yeah. Yeah, she loses the smartphone, which is, um, it comes up a lot. I it's I think it's sort of a, an interesting signifier for this character and, and perhaps how well it's connected with people is, is the use of the smartphone and the earphones and the stuff. Gwen sort of seems like a, a very believable teenager in that she does always have her earphones and her smartphone on her. And when she does lose them, it is the end of the world. Um, As yeah. most teenagers do. True, true. Yeah, no, I, I think it's um, it's 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 interesting uh, that yeah, but that's uh, so that's the first issue. The second issue begins with Spider Ham, and there's this. It doesn't happen too often, but it happens a few times where uh, Gwen one will is... hallucinate Spider Ham in times of crises. Yeah, she's concussed for like the first half of this issue. She isn't acting super rationally, and she has full multiple scene long conversations with spider-ham that are quite amusing i think latour did actually go on to write some spider-ham books so he's got a good i think feel for his voice in this book and uh, there's this sort of slightly darker mention about how he's the only peter who doesn't make her sadder than the smiths which is yeah that's kind of sad so there's there's definitely i think in this era of spider-gwen there's a lot of tension with just Gwen around the other alternate universe Peters. That does come up a lot where she's just sad to see them because it just reminds reminds her of what she's lost and what she's done. And that is referenced a bit there, which I think is a neat callback. And it's also a neat explanation because it, it looks a bit random otherwise. But yeah, that sort of makes sense within the, the context of the story. It's a, it's a nice reason. We, we also get a sort of flashback scene explaining how Gwen avoided dying in the Hudson River. She did a, a classic web glider thing web wings like web on the wings, fly yeah but like she doesn't exactly fly per se like it's more like gliding yeah and then and then she bounces off the water a bunch as well like one of those skipping stones but she lands in a garbage Gar- is it garbage ship? garbage barge a... like they're is called it... garbage barges is, is that a thing in america you, you guys yeah got they're literally garbage? called garbage barge yeah that's that's crazy that's but yeah she lands in one of these and so she's got a concussion and she's hallucinating pigs, and she's fretting about her phone. So that's a whole thing. And yeah, we, there's this some additional scenes elaborating on this sort of tension that sort of come up in the police force now, where you've obviously got Captain Stacy who's trying to cover for Gwen a bit, trying to pull back on this manhunt. You've got the Punisher who's very overeager, and the Punisher's current partner is Gene DeWolf, who and is. Who- Classic Spider-Man fans will know was the main plot of the death of Jean DeWolf was her getting killed. Yeah, yeah, she's not dead in this, so uh, good for her. Out of the fridge, 
which is always fun and yeah a, a good way to move on i guess with this character but yeah she's sort of a middle ground i guess because she she obviously doesn't know anything about spider-woman's identity at this point but she's also not as keen a cop as frank is that said she is very much complicit in his manhunt she's there when he's torturing the rhino and kind of watches him so that's she's not it, none of none of the cops are clean in this i don't think i, I mean even george stacy in these scenes he's he's still he mentions doing shady stuff like leaking stuff to the press and such so that yeah that they, they sort of they circle a bit back around to, to that tension there then there's some additional scenes where we find that gwen's actually ended up back with the mary janes and they make this sort of appeal to her to come back to the band and yeah she's not she's not doing so great yeah and the, the band thinks that she's lost her marbles because she's still talking to spider ham hallucination yeah yeah and they they found her in they found her in a bar as well there's this uh short panel flashback where she's getting refused service at a bar where a band manager uh, who is a band manager in this earth randy robertson finds her and takes her back to the mary janes so yeah there's a yeah an interesting push and pull there but but Gwen just sort of comes to the conclusion that she doesn't want to go back to the band at this point. And, and that tension sort of continues for a bit longer. There's actually a, 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 some really interesting dialogue, I think, between MJ and Glory. They've got they've got a good tension here, I think, where Glory is less concerned with the band and more concerned with Gwen, where MJ is a bit more concerned with the, with the band and sort of getting them back together. Because she also knows that if she doesn't do that, Glory is more likely to quit the band as well. So, yeah, there's there's a, a lot of different character motivations sort of going off at once. It's a, a yeah, they, they sort of, they have very unique voices, I think, in these scenes. And it's an interesting sort of dynamic. I like it as a B-plot. Uh, I, I've always liked the band as a sort of B-plot to the rest of the Spider-Gwen stuff going on. It's uh, suitably character-driven and it does feel like it's got stakes, you know, like you want the band to be successful. But also at the same time, Gwen's got to fight the vulture and stuff. Um we get some. We get to see the actual normal kingpin in this issue. Yeah, Wilson Fisk is a uh, in prison because he's being accused of running the criminal underworld. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't become a recurring character. Wilson Fisk is. Uh, this is his only scene, from what I understand. And yeah, he's very much sort of left to rot there by the plot by Murdoch, who gets a scene immediately after where he kills the vultures' sidekick vultures and. I'm I it's brutal and I feel bad for them. I really do. Um I like their vibe. It was cool. But yeah. Um he kills them and he's got like a beat up vulture that's been brought to him and he's like I'd say annoyed almost that that he'd that he went uh, off script. Yeah, he did. Yeah, because at this point, the Vulture's just been a sort of free agent doing his own thing, messing about. And, and obviously, Murdoch's got this agenda where he wants to bring Spider-Woman on side. So he tasks Vulture now with specifically going after Spider-Woman and to bring her to him. And so, yeah, we'll circle back around to that in a bit. What else happens in this issue that's worth mentioning? Um, yeah, and again, there's this sort of final, very tense scene in the bar between castle and stacy where they they sort of george stacy he sort of tries to maybe pull frank away from the job a little bit he tries to sort of get through to him a bit but it goes badly and you know we were talking about this before the the recording started but it's almost like he smashes a mirror at the end of it george stacy gets that annoyed with the whole situation but it's not super clear like, but it does seem like he's, he, he gets very annoyed about it all. But it, it's clear that Castle won't be deterred from the manhunt for Spider-Woman. It's it's pretty set in stone in these pages here. Yeah, and that, that closes out issue number two. Oh, but before we uh, move on to the next issue, like after he allegedly smashes uh, the mirror, like he runs into Gwen. Uh, yes. Because... Uh, he found her phone that she lost before getting into the garbage barge. And she yeah. says that um, she's looking for him, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's because uh, yeah, obviously he's been trying to cover for her, but she needs what is what is she looking for him for? What's the I think it's to uh, just to look over him. Yeah, yeah. They, they sort of issue number three picks up with this sort of heart to heart between the two. And it's yeah, it's, it's very frank and it's very, I don't know, honest about about sort of Gwen's angst 
because obviously he wants her to be safe and he doesn't know what to make of her especially in the mask like there's this whole bit where she talks about how he likes to look people in the eye and know what they're about you know when he's on the when he commutes when he's on his train when he's at work and stuff but you know he can't do that with her when he looks at her because she when she wears the mask it's this whole other persona and yeah they have i think one of the strongest aspects of pretty much any spider-gwen story has always been the tension between you know that the father-daughter relationship here of captain george stacy and and Gwen Stacy, it's 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 really strong, and there's a clear push and pull here because because they both sort of want to look out for each other, and and they're both going out doing rather dangerous things in the world, so yeah, it's 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 this whole thing. But there's um yeah, there's, there's another this, There's this yeah, moment where like uh George tells her she doesn't owe anyone anything, but Gwen says that like, she has to for Peter's sake because uh she said that like she felt his heart break, but George keeps rebuffing her on that. Yeah, that's a interesting thing because that's clearly the the driving force at the moment is is the guilt over Peter's death here. But she feels compelled to continue on as a result of of seeing what happens when she didn't when sort of power is not used properly. And yeah, she she doesn't want to unmask, and that 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 comes out here quite strong is that she can't help anyone without it. And what does the truth do for anyone except cause more pain? Um, and this is sort of the a big thing which comes up in this run is if i say this run the run that comes this as mini. a sort of sequel to the, yeah to this mini series and then the subsequent run is the degree to which gwen's identity uh help helps her get over this issue with the the police or, or doesn't help her get over this issue with the police so so the masking and such but it all gets kind of cut short because the vulture, the vulture comes. breaks in yeah so you've got round two here and there's this tremendous splash page, which I think looks really cool, where he smashes right through the wall. And he actually breaks apart the hug in a sort of symbolic manner, and a literal manner. Um, now, he doesn't know that Gwen is a Spider-Woman. He doesn't, he doesn't know that she's even at Captain Stacy's house. But he knows that she defended him in Edge of Spider-Verse number two. And that's his lead. So he's now that there's a sort of connection that's been made between these two characters within the context of Earth 65. And he's he's exploiting that. But of course, Gwen is there. She masks up. She fights him and starts to lose because the gas has this. Um, I don't know. Has it got like a like a, is it a woozy effect or something? She starts talking weird. Anyway, she starts saying weird things. Um, like let's just call it sense. a high because that's the only word I have right now. Yeah, it sort of puts them on some kind of high. They see double. Uh, they don't talk rationally, and he looks like once again he's got the edge. But then, uh, Captain Stacy just shoots him. Yeah, he gets him in the shoulder and he flies away because yeah he's been shot and that's not nice. So they get their bearings and Gwen goes back out there to find the vultures crashed into a police car. And manages to knock him out and yeah she's won round two there so and that is the final round between her and the vulture for for a while yeah but that's it she's she's won she's knocked him out there and but soon then... she finds out that yeah the vulture is the least of her problems because she's now confronted by castle yes yeah we get the castle uh, we get the first look at a proper punisher outfit as well and he's he's wearing a gas mask for this obviously because there's gas everywhere but it's it sort of it kind of works with the rest of the look as well and he's got like twin batons which gwen immediately punches through and they have a short sort of punch up which gwen wins but then he's got like electricity built into his suit and he shocks her before when, when she tries to grab him again which i think is a cool cool design feature he's a cool I, th- I think it's a really cool Punisher design. Actually, it's very bare bones. Literally, is yeah. He's, I mean, he's got the skull, obviously, but but yeah, very very stripped down Punisher design. And he does actually manage to unmask her. He sees her face, but um, he has no idea who she is. Yeah, he's he's got no context for it. I mean, obviously, he he he'd be able to go back out of there and say, yeah, well, she's a girl. She was blonde. She was kind of teenager, early twenties. But other than that, he he doesn't know Captain Stacy's what his daughter looks like yet. So yeah, and then she proceeds to knock him out. As she should. And then there's a really interesting bit where she considers not leaving Vulture to the cops. With the implication, I think, that she might just kill him. There's this sort of moment of deliberation where she says, uh, can't just leave Tombs for the cops. If he's figured it out, if he tells my secret, 
but then she sort of cashes herself and says there's no other choice here spider woman's not a criminal but i do think there's a sort of a push and pull here i think between again where gwen has to decide between doing the the right thing and the wrong thing and this is i think a key decision where probably one of the first ones where she she makes a clear sort of right choice to not to not kill this guy so but yeah the vulture now knows that gwen showed up as spider woman at Captain Stacy's house, so he's perhaps clued in a bit more than what was previous to this point. And as we close off issue number three, Uncle Ben finds Captain Stacy passed out on his yard. Yeah, so Uncle Ben's still alive in this earth. He's living his life without Peter, and the, the issue closes out with this very sort of Ben's just lifted George Stacy back to his home, and, and Gwen almost visits, but she sort of stops off in Peter's room which has been left the way it was. And there's a sort of very dark page where it's mostly just blacks and browns and her full sort of, the inside of her hood is just, it's black. It's like, you don't see her face. It's it's very down. And you can see that that guilt is, is there, it's driving her. But yeah, I, I really like this issue. I really like this sort of extended fight scene and the way it shifts location between the Stacy residence and then next to the cop car in the street, and it's all surrounded by these cool-looking abstract green sort of clouds, and it looks really good. And I, I think this is a really interesting debut of the Punisher. I think if they'd had another page to spare, they should have given him just a full splash page for that design, because um, none of the panels are particularly big with him in it, and I feel it's a bit wasted. But yeah, it's a cool issue. It's a cool issue. It's solid. I like that one. Going into number four now, which is a break from the previous action, I'd say. Yeah, this would serve as more as mandated breather issue. Yeah, there's um, there's actually in this one, one of the things that I, I put in the notes here is that the Yancey Street Gang isn't like, I mean, I'm not super clued in on, on all the stuff they did on 616, but, but here in 65, they're sort of, they're definitely younger. They wear like these white hoodies and they're clearly inspired in some way by Spider-Woman, I think. I think that's the, the reason they're going around wearing white hoodies. But anyway, here they're actually graffitiing up a new development in uh, Hell's Kitchen because it's uh, it's gentrification, right? Like that's that, that's what they're doing there. They're, um, let's see if I can find the line here. Yeah, are you kidding? They're selling our neighborhood off piece by piece. Nobody wants that corporate drone hatchery here. So they're sort of, they almost accuse Gwen of selling out a bit after having worked with the cops somewhat. But yeah, they they have this sort of uh, moment where the scaffolding nearly collapses around them, where they're graffitiing and, and Gwen has to save them, which is, I think, neat. And also I looked this up the other day because I've only realized recently Hell's Kitchen is an actual place. It's an actual place in New York called Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> um, they, they named it that. And gentrification is an actual problem there. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, is, it is a gentrifying area of New York. And um, yeah, I thought that was, this was an interesting scene. I thought it was a cool scene. And I wish the Yancey Street Gang got more action because it, it includes Hobby Brown as well. Hobie Brown? Yeah, Am I Hobie saying that right? Brown. Yeah, who, Hobie um, Brown. classic Spider-Man fans know, is the first Prowler other than Aaron Davis, Miles' uncle. But Hobie Brown was the first person to take the honor of being the Prowler. Yeah, so he's um, a bit younger here, and he's he's in this sort of, uh, I, I don't know, like a version of the Yancey Street Gang with a bit more of an anarchist bent to it than I suppose. Um, I also want to go off on a little bit of a tangent here where uh, Gwen was being insulted by being called a sellout, and then Hobie asks her if uh, like if she's in bed with Captain Stacy. And uh, yeah, that was... She calls him a pervert. Yeah, she's reacting as his daughter, but obviously they, they he's yeah, that was that was a crass comment there on his part, but yeah, that was because because obviously to them, if Gwen keeps swooping in and repeatedly saving this one police captain, then you know, that's to these kids who are sort of rebelling against the system, then that's uh that's obviously no good. They they're not they're not too impressed by that. But uh yeah, that yeah, that gag there's uh it's it's funny. And then there's the caption there where she where she sort of finishes off her original statement that she says out loud by saying he's he's just my dad. Yeah, with a little bit of profanity thrown in there. Yep, at the classic Gwen Stacy profanity. I think we're like how how many you, you how many lines are they are they putting that in there? There's it's quite a few. So far in this issue, like she used profanity, not counting when she got sprayed on by Hobie when she was what the fuck. Oh yeah. So far, she used the expletives twice. Twice. Oh, okay. You're keeping a you're keeping a swear jar then. Yeah, because uh, Gwen seems pretty prone to vanity. I'm actually like gonna be starting up a new segment where every time Gwen uses an expletive, that's another tip in the jar. 
not so friendly neighborhood Spider Gwen. Yeah, no, it's um, I like that. She seems she seems more um, I think she seems more real as a character for that because there's obviously all these crazy things going off. Of course, you'd swear. I think it's <laughs> what nineteen year old doesn't swear. Yeah. It's, uh, it's wild. And then the issue takes on a very sort of, it goes a lot into sort of the grief of the Parker family. You have what is mostly an issue where and it's very heartfelt, where Gwen is sort of greeted by Ben, who's all very friendly. And the, you get the sense that prior to Peter's death, they ha- they were very close. The Stacys were very close with the Parkers. It seems they live close to each other. I think they might even be direct neighbors. And yeah, George is actually even sleeping over at the Parkers. So it's presumably because part of his house was destroyed from the vulture. But yeah, it, it's this very wholesome moment. But there's this sort of darker undertone to it because Gwen's clearly not comfortable with much of it because of Peter's death and her role in it that she can't really talk to them about and uh, while she sits down she notices these newspaper clippings this book of Spider-Woman stuff and there is probably one of my favourite full page panels in a comic ever where it's sort of just her face looking completely mortified with all of these newspaper headlines on it like abstractly laid over it and sort of coloured in shades of purple and, and blue uh, where it just says like the words Peter Parker and killer over and over and over again and it's I, I put it up on my Twitter feed when I tweeted about this it, but it is it is one of my favourite pages in a comic it looks good and, and without it having to actually show the book it, it shows how mortified I think Gwen is by her role in that and how much it must be affecting the Parkers for them to keep a book like that what do you think of these scenes? Yeah, that page that you just mentioned, yeah, it fully captures Gwen's grief and guilt. And yet yeah, knowing that it's a bit of, I'm not sure if the word is irony, that dramatic irony, because it's not involving us with the audience. But she knows that like the real story behind it, but the Parkers don't know. Yeah. Yeah, why she's labeled a killer. Exactly, and there's this, there's a clear tension in these scenes, but because it's May who, who turns out to be keeping these newspaper clippings, because she's got this predisposition to, to looking into Spider-Woman, she sort of already starts talking to Gwen about what she thinks of Spider-Woman, not of Gwen, because obviously she doesn't know, but she starts thinking about what she's talking about Spider-Woman, because obviously at the beginning, May Parker was sort of pointing fingers at Spider-Woman, along with J. Jonah Jameson and the rest of the papers and the police and such, but May sort of explains that... That, Yeah, that Peter was, when Gwen first made her uh, first appearance, that Peter was fascinated with her and wanted to emulate Spider-Woman. Yeah, as as it turns out, they'd always been keeping these newspaper clippings. May and Peter had been doing it together. And May carried on after his death. And at, yes, at first I didn't know why. And then that's what she says. And then she sort of says that she just knew something was wrong. And she, it sort of cuts to some of these newspaper clippings where it's evident that Spider-Woman is, is playing more of a constructive role in the city where she's saving people and she's stopping trains and stopping the Bodega Bandit as she does. And it becomes apparent that like May sort of is understanding that Spider-Woman is attempting to atone and is is not really sure who to, to sort of trust. And she sort of says this stuff, which which gets through to Gwen. And it, it's a really nice moment. And uh, yeah, it's I think it's very wholesome. I really, I really like I really like this issue. It's one of the standout ones. Whenever the Parkers show up in this comic, which isn't which isn't too often, actually, it's always very it's always very good stuff. And, and it all comes down to it that they always get into sort of the nitty gritty over the dilemma of, of Gwen's being Spider-Woman, uh, you know, even even though they don't really know who she is here. And this is also mostly because Gwen's mother isn't in her life anymore, so Aunt May is the closest thing she has to a mother figure. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, be yeah. consoled. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. But yeah, it's a really good moment. And then sort of to wrap it all up, it closes out, well, not doesn't close out, there's a penultimate scene where Gwen's sort of, she goes back to the band, she, where she goes back to Glory even, uh, and she doesn't, she sort of explains that she's not really sure why she's running away from the band, because she does have the option in some places to go back and play a gig with them, and she sort of goes back, and, and Glory sort of gets through to her quite directly, saying, as much as we need you, it's obvious you need us more. And there's a really good uh, splash page, sort of coloured in shades of red and black. That's really good, where they they're playing face at Tiger to this audience, and you can't really see Gwen's face; it's mostly obscured, except for her smile. She's just grinning, full teeth grin. Uh, and it's it's again another really wholesome moment where, sort of in this one issue, where uh, Gwen's perhaps reconciled a bit more of herself with the band and with the Parkers, which is it's good. But it's not all okay because 
Yeah, the meanwhile, Officer DeWolf is interrogating Officer Boyle. Yeah, it's, yeah, there's this sort of, is, is, is there Officer Boyle? Because his first name is Fletcher. Okay. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, sorry, my bad. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, they're taking it very lighthearted, but DeWolf is a bit riled because Castle is hospitalized, uh, and apparently some of the cops, presumably the ones who are in the police car, in the last issue uh, have been hospitalized so she's she doesn't take kindly to the other cops taking the whole situation with spider woman not very seriously uh, but it all gets a bit cut short when frank castle turns back up with an uh, is it a cast i don't know what you call it a brace around his yeah, neck it's an arm brace a neck brace and uh, yeah just bandage yeah bandage. yeah he looks like he's broken all kinds of bones but he's back at work um and it's like he, nothing happened yeah he puts his hand on his shoulder and just says enough gore can get back to work and and then that's it it closes out really with with him sort of just doggedly going at his job which which is yeah this is thing but yeah that sets up i think pretty much the main conflict for a good chunk of this run and it's left there i think in this mini series they don't pick it up too much in this last issue which is i it's almost it's and it doesn't really slot as much into the rest of this arc it sort of sits outside of it a little bit this is the black cat issue this is the Le, Le Chat Noir, which is about Felicia Hardy of Earth-65. For the people at home who aren't familiar with Black Cat, although you should be, Felicia Hardy is traditionally known as the cat burglar Black Cat on Earth-616 and on-again, off-again love interest of Peter Parker. But yeah. on this Earth, she's still a former thief, but mostly she's a musician. Yeah, her history is with the band and she's sort of, it's it's implied that she was very intense and that she's sort of gone off on her own and she's done very, very well. And now she's playing this very, very big gig in New York. The black cat design that they use in this comic is, is very, very different. She has like, I would say it's almost silver hair, but yeah, she's got that sort of, the big sort of white hair, but she's almost got like, I don't know, is it like a metal it yeah, looks it, like a metal. it looks pretty shiny. So, like, I'm assuming that it's either like a metal dress or just something flamboyant. Yeah, it's very much out there. Like, like metal. It's a metal dress, metal heels, metal bracelets. It's uh, and like this this head thing that's almost looks like an like an Asgardian would wear. But yeah, it's an interesting black cat design. Um, so this is Felicia Hardy of Earth sixty five, as is explained in this issue, is French, and her dad was the original black cat, Le Chat Noir. And together they were this thieving duo who went around Paris. And there's this cool double page spread of just their backstory together. And they steal cool things. Like they don't steal boring, just jewelry or stuff. But like it starts out with they stole the hairbrush once belonging to Marie Antoinette. And it cuts to her dad brushing her hair. And, and then the next thing they steal is... Wilson Fisk's silver dollar. Yeah, this thief has or, taken... Oh, his first dollar. His first dollar, yeah. he The first dollar he had ever earned. And what he does, this is... Oh, yeah, Wilson Fisk's second appearance ever, I think, in this comic series. I don't, I don't think he appears again after this. I'm definitely sure. But he tasks Matt Murdock, who's in a bit more of a servile role back then, I guess, with recovering it. Well, at least proving himself. And he kills Felicia Hardy's father. Um, and I want to jump in by saying that the panel where Murdoch kills Walter, it looks exactly the way that Bullseye killed Elektra in 616. Oh, no way. Is that okay? Yeah, uh, it's it's rough. It's a pretty graphic death. And it does number on Felicia. But he closes out saying, in French, the caption says, uh, Remember Felicia, steal only what they cannot lock away. Take only what they can't take back. Steal their hearts. Um, because after Walter dies, Felicia had to resort to panhandling on the streets before eventually briefly becoming part of the Mary Janes before striking out on her own. Yeah, I think, yeah. So she's made it that far and now she's set up this big new gig in New York and there's an opening set. Yeah, Felicia invited them to be an opening act, even though they do have a history together that did not end well. It ended with Felicia strangling MJ with a mic cord. Yeah, definitely a lot of tension between Felicia and MJ, particularly. Like, they have the icicles coming off the captions when they talk to each other. I thought it was kind of neat touch. And, yeah, Felicia even interrupts their set once Murdoch shows up, who she has invited. Felicia has invited Murdoch to this, this set, and it, it turns out that this is all a very elaborate assassination attempt to attack Matt Murdoch. She's, she set all this up to have a public space where she can invite him, and even 
her band members, the Black Cats, because it's Felicia Hardy and the Black Cats is the name of her set. They appear to be men in cat suits with big cat heads like their mascots. I don't want to call them furries, but that, that does seem like the closest thing. Like a sports mascot almost, you know, that sort of style. And Betty even mentions that he lives in the Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Yeah, it's wild. And then, like, so she attempts to attack Matt Murdock, but he summons his ninjas in. And what we then get is a fight scene of people in cat suits versus ninjas with black cat fighting Matt Murdock and the Mary Jane scrambling about in the middle of it. And it's very much, it's very chaotic. There's a lot going on in these panels and it's all lit up in like these neon colors and it's all a lot of movement going on. There's shurikens flying and you get the sense for the general chaos of it. And the Mary Janes even actually get involved with the fighting as well. Like they pick up their mic stands and their guitars and stuff. It's crazy. It's insane. But eventually it comes down to Felicia versus Matt. And yeah, Spider-Woman gets involved at this point and KO's Felicia. They have a brief sort of back and forth where she's like, Yo, maybe you don't kill him. He's manipulating you. And she's like, I don't care. I'm, I'm going to do it. And then she punches her in the face. Backtracking before she KOs Felicia, when Felicia was on her knees with Matt towering over her, if you look at the uh, shadow, you'll see the devil horns on the shadow. Yeah, that's a good, that's well noticed. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's still got the, the yeah, daredevil shadow is there. It's, it's very, very much, he's got a very evil presence throughout these scenes as well. Because he sort of doesn't really get too involved in the fighting itself. He's mostly just sort of standing above it all. Yeah, because she's being told, isn't it bad luck? Try and murder your guests. Yeah, yeah. Does she have luck powers? I don't think she has. No, she's just a little reference. There. I don't think she has her luck based powers. No, no, I think they they should do that if they ever bring about though. But yeah, they have this sort of brief interchange where Gwen sort of is quite confrontational, whereas Matt's much more playful. I think he's much more um, in terms of he's trying to get through to her and he's much more upbeat whereas Gwen's like are you threatening me and it's like you know maybe things aren't all black and white standard sort of villain speech and the police arrive before they can sort of finish their conversation there but but again that's very much I think the tone of most of Murdoch and Gwen's interactions is where he's got these designs and Gwen's just kind of fed up trying to fight him which is fair there's an interesting panel where it sort of tries to show, because this version of Murdoch does have his, I don't know what you call it, echolocation? Yeah, yeah. let's just call it echolocation because yeah, he's still blind, like his 616 counterpart. But Yes, yeah. And he's got those cool red sunglasses. And he, he ha it sort of has these panels where it sort of, it tightens in on his sunglasses and it has this sort of reddish pinkish hue and it sort of shows everything up. But in particular Gwen, and you see her and it sort of looks like a normal sort of panel of Gwen, except like he can almost see through her mask. Like he can see the shape of her face and not the shape of like her mask on her face. And it's it's got him saying, you know, I've been watching you Spider-Woman. I've seen who you really are. And I think, you know, he, he very much feels like he relates to Gwen. And I'd say the same for Felicia Hardy as well. Both of these characters represent potential paths for Gwen, you know, paths of vengeance or paths of villainy, because they do have, um, I'd say, similar pathos, similar, similar issues with the world and, and similar, similar backstories, some similar plot beats, particularly Felicia, where these characters sort of just represent different options, different ways that Gwen's story could go over the course of this run. And, and I think that's largely the point of this, because Black Cat doesn't actually show up again until much, much later on, I'd say, in this run, where she is once again used much more explicitly, I think, as a reminder of how things could end up for Gwen. And yeah, that's a big part, I think, of why and how that character did get used, perhaps only in the small way that she did, because I, I think they could have used more more Black Cat. But yeah, this, this is the Black Cat one shot, so it's good. And it's the last issue of this miniseries. There's also a bit more with Jean DeWolf as well. They elaborate a bit more on, on her deal. Yeah, it says that basically to sum it all up, the wolf tells George to watch his back. Yeah, and, and she's she sort of implies she's made the connection between him and Spider-Woman. But no matter what's going on, what you're into, I know deep down that you're a good cop, a good man. So she's deciding not to pursue that course of investigation, I suppose, or at least for the moment anyway. There's also, there's definitely romantic subtext there um between these two characters yeah there. she uh just gave him a kiss on the cheek yeah 
Like even there's this little word that says like kiss. Yeah, they have they have a, they have a, they have a kiss sound effect. So yeah, I think there's a romantic history between those two characters, uh, and also professionally they were partners as well. So yeah, they, they sort of set that up. And Gene DeWolf, I think more and more so as the run goes on, becomes sort of I think the general perspective from within the police in in their sort of hunt as sort of George Stacy takes on more of a, a role of being one of these people who, who are also being investigated over the Spider-Woman stuff. But that, that closes out sort of, I think, the general summary of this book. So one of the things that we wanted to touch on, because a lot of ground is covered here, is the sheer amount of characters they introduce. We've mentioned Ben Grimm, uh, Hobie Brown and the uh, Yancey Street Gang, the Vulture, Bodega Bandit, Boggy Nelson, uh, Punisher, Punisher, Gene, Gene DeWolf, Wolf, Vanilla Fist. Kingpin. Yeah. We got Anime. Uncle Ben and Aunt May. Randy, Randy Robinson. Are we saying it exactly the same time? <laughs> I think we are. That's crazy. We're reading from the list in the same order. Felicia Hardy, aka Black Cat, aka Le Chat Noir. Yep. And then, like, just for a hot second or two, Gwen's mother, Helen, but just in a photograph only. Yeah, I think I think Helen Stacy is forever relegated to uh, the photographs because I was reading the, the Gwen Stacy miniseries and she shows up in photographs there as well. But yeah, she's she's very much not present. Like you mentioned earlier, that May Parker is the mother of sort of the the mother figure for a lot of Gwen's story. Into the Spider Verse, all of the uh, Spider Gang like went to her house. Yeah, that's it's very wholesome. That yeah, no, she's she's a nice character. I really like May sixty five. Yeah, and, and and some of the the stuff they do with Ben sixty five is uh is very interesting. So uh, just sort of moving towards wrapping up here. Uh, there's some sort of light trivia around sales. A while back when. Ghost Spider got cancelled. Uh, I sort of went back through and I I checked all of the Diamond publisher, the publisher which was printing most of the Spider. Well, I say most of. They were printing all of the comic books everywhere. It was ridiculous, and and you know they're not anymore. But it was ridiculous back then. But it also meant that we could see the maximum amount of units they were selling to retailers, uh, the upper limit for the amount of comics that were potentially being bought by customers. And, and back then they were moving a lot of Spider Gwen. This is like peak Spider Gwen era. They they were moving hundreds of thousands of Spider Gwen issues. It's it's crazy for a sort of short period. These comics were like up there you know they issue one moved two hundred fifty thousand. i guess it's an issue one but two and three moved over a hundred thousand um and it leveled off at, at just under seventy thousand for the fifth one there so it's uh, which in comics terms that's big circulation they did very well out of this run yeah it, it's solid and yeah no I, I you know i long for the days when spider gwen saw this many issues but yeah it's it, so that was sort of something i wanted to to bring up there because uh because yeah that's it's, it's an interesting era of Spider-Gwen. She was very, very big back in 2015. She was uh, sort of very much in the in the cultural consciousness. But yeah, overall, what did you think of this miniseries? Yeah, I loved how they um, got to explore more of Gwen in, I'm just going to say, the limited amount of scale they had because of Secret Wars. But it's very interesting that how um, to get her own rogues gallery, but which is essentially, I'm not going to call it a copy of Peter's rogues gallery because I'm going to say that Gwen's rogues, I feel like they're much more interesting than their 616 counterparts because, yeah, again, this is an alternate universe. Like there are some different circumstances. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I shan't anger the, the Peter 616 fans, but. The, the sort of regular Amazing Spider-Man comic readers. But I think generally they use a lot of the same characters from 616, but they use them in very different ways. Like the Punisher generally isn't the sort of recurring villain that, that he is here for Gwen. Neither is sort of Matt Murdock's role as the Kingpin. He's very much a very sort of different animal. Um, black, even, even Black Cat. Uh, Vulture feels very similar to, I think, 616 culture but but you know obviously yeah, he's used, i think they're just used in very different ways and they, they sort of fulfill different roles on the alignment chart like should we say yeah because especially with in black cat's case the only uh, common thread between her and her prime counterpart is that they're thieves yes yeah no, I, I, absolutely it's yeah they feel they feel different i think with more time that version of black cat would probably end up more in line with this sort of version but yeah I, I don't know she doesn't doesn't get enough play in my opinion but yeah especially it's, it's cool since version. like music is kind of an integral part of Gwen's character and making Felicia a musician like that was interesting yeah and I think that that is a theme with a lot of the villains is they do try and tie them in some way back to to they, they try and give them some kind of musical motif and, and we'll probably look at some of those or, or even just the general style of a musician you know I, I think I think this is probably you know, I, th I think I agree with you in that it, it does feel like 
they, they were limited a bit by the Secret Wars bringing everything to an end. I, I wonder if this would have just been a regular ongoing and not a miniseries if it weren't for um, the Secret Wars reset. But it was a miniseries, and it, in that sense, it does does feel a bit messy in places. But generally speaking, I, I, I remember this being worse than what it felt when I went back to read it, and I was reading it, and I, this is a really solid arc, uh, I think. It's definitely... Uh, the stuff with Vulture is really good. The stuff with Punisher is really good, and it is, is consistently good, I think, throughout. And it uses a lot of, uh, I think, plot beats that that perhaps don't get picked up enough in in the ongoing once that gets started like the ben and may parker stuff in this is, is really good and and i do wish they, they went back to that more so in the ongoing because because uh, it is really really solid in this run uh, in this mini series even but yeah um we didn't get uh emails but we did get a tweet from dallas comics over at the comics collective uh, which is which is very good uh thank you dallas for uh for tweeting us and he says he uh i'll read out what he says i won't i won't do an accent for you dallas like you did for me on comics collective uh i'll just read his statement it says i honestly adore this first stretch of spider-gwen after the phenomenal origin story in edge of spider-verse number two i was ecstatic to learn more about earth 65 i think the reimagining of all these characters is great and i'm so happy that vulture is right out front yeah no, that's uh I think that's the right opinion. That's uh, your thoughts on Dallas's tweet. We love you, Dallas. <laughs> like, we, like, <laughs> like we love how you were the uh, the first one to uh, respond to us. And yeah. Yeah, no, I I do think the use of Vulture is really good here as well. He's right. He's right about that. He gets the he gets the first place on on uh, Spider Gwen's title as as the first sort of big villain she goes up against. Um, but yeah. Uh, uh, I also want to point out that people who have been used as cannon fodder on Earth 616, I'm just going to use Jean DeWolf as how they uh, certainly rectified her character on Earth 65 anyway. Yeah, I think she gets a, gets a fair treatment maybe. Yeah, because Jean DeWolf's whole deal back on uh, Earth 616 is just to be used in the death of Jean DeWolf. Yeah, it's, it's a raw deal. Are we closing out still or are we still having some more? I yeah I think I've I've wrapped up what I'm gonna say about it and it's yeah it's been it's been good it's been good. So next week we'll be discussing the first arc of the Spider Gwen 2015 to 2018 ongoing titled Greater Power, collecting issues one through six, which takes place after Secret Wars. That arc dives more into Gwen's backstory alongside the wider world of Earth 65, introducing more characters such as Dr. Kurt Connors, Captain America, and Harry Osborn. We'll put links in the description of where to buy and read Greater Power, along with the full Spider-Gwen reading list. We'd also like to hear your thoughts on the show, including next week's Greater Power, and we'll read them on the air. You can email us at ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com, or follow us on Twitter at gsgroupies. And remember to pre-order the Spider-Gwen Omnibus and Night Gwen. Yeah. It's showing your support. Yeah, great stuff. It's been good. Thanks. For Ghost Spider Groupies, I've been Abigail. And I'm Kurt. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>